Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. friends, welcome to this, another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris. That's smiling John Daigle. I'm always smiling. And that's Ian Harditz. Gentlemen, how are we? I'm doing great, Josh. How about you? Are you energetically today, John? I am energetically. I actually sent an email to one of our bosses and I got yelled at because I deleted the energetically beforehand. So now I have to keep it in every single email I do. It's you. It's your brand. It's me. Ian, I want to point you out for a second. Cool. No one is like more intensively working in the newsroom than you. <laughs> Today was an interesting day in the newsroom. It's ramen day here at the commissary. And ramen day plus newsroom time of slurping while other people are working around. A lot of slurping. It's, it, I wasn't going to say anything, but a lot of slurping. <laughs> it's not a sound that is normally surrounding you Conducive while working, working. Yeah, yeah, while sure. working in the newsroom. So, it, you know, set out. It's one of those days. Yeah, I didn't hear any of the slurp. I didn't even know it was ramen day. I mean, look, what? When I'm, I come to the office to record podcasts, see my great friends, you guys, and I had to write today. And when I write, I write better with music. I write better with a hat on. So yeah. I understand it's not the the hat. Yeah, it's you know thinking hat. It just it sets good habits. It's a beanie. It's yourself. headphones. And what are you listening to? A whole, whole bunch of stuff. Uh, we got some. It's a weird writing playlist that has like Kanye, Lincoln Park. Like it does not is not genre specific. It yeah. touches everything. Anything that gets the head bobbing, gets you in the zone, gets you to type faster, Josh. So same stuff that we listen to like during halftime of tenth grade football is what you're listening to now. Almost exactly. See, everything just goes back to trying to pretend like we're about to go. So hit is it like Stephen King, how he writes to loud music because he thinks it just drowns out everything else? Or are you shaking your head over there? You just compared me to Stephen King. Thanks, yeah. man. By the way, did you know Dago reads? Oh, I heard that. I don't know if you heard the humble brag that I read books. Uh, Should we get into football? Yes. Let me talk about football. That's why we're here. Uh, As you know, we're going to hit on news, have a little segment between the three of us in the middle, and then later on, we get to talk to Patrick Darty. It's a special day here on this podcast. Anytime Rotopat joins us on the phone as well. Let's kick it off, though. Miles Garrett being reinstated to the NFL. Obviously, this was expected news, but it's still news regardless. I mean, that incident that happened with... Uh, him and Mason Rudolph using a helmet as a weapon, missing the entire rest of the season. But with how bad the Browns were last year, Miles Garrett is a still an integral part of that defense. And I would still say the number one player on that defense, Ian. Oh, easily. And I mean, I think we kind of, you know, we look at the Browns finish 6-10. and 10, You can't spin that in too many good ways, obviously. But they did lose four of the last five games. I mean, they were on a nice little run right as Miles Garrett got suspended. And once he did get suspended, I mean, just the... Defense became atrocious, especially yeah. on run defense. I mean, those last six games without Miles Garrett, 92, 
92 rushing yards allowed, 124, 179, 226, 243, and finally 179 rushing yards allowed per game. I know Olivia Vernon was out as well during that stretch with, a, I believe it was a knee injury for most of the problem, but truly Miles Garrett is one of these uh, talents on defense. I think his, you know, his absence alone can take a unit from above average, average to straight up bad. And doesn't turn 25 till the end of the year, was top five in sacks at the time of his suspension, and doesn't have a history of off-field incidents. So I just chalk it up to a one-and-done, a crazy incident, but an incident nonetheless, and I would imagine it's something we probably don't even talk about at this time next year. Top five candidate for Defensive Player of the Year next mm. year? Probably every year. Comeback Player of the Year? So does, especially does, he, if, does he get a nomination for Comeback Player of the Year after what happened? <laughs> I, think awesome. we can, I don't think he qualifies. It's going to be like him versus some, someone that suffered an atrocious injury and actually has a real case for it. Browns beat writer Jake Trotter did mention that Garrett has accounted for 28% of Cleveland sacks since being drafted. That's the fourth highest percentage of any player in the last three seasons. And we need to mention, I don't think we mentioned this because it happened uh, after Super Bowl week, the Browns have a new defensive coordinator and Joe Woods, who's a defensive bats coach with the 49ers. And obviously that team in San Francisco was built on the front four disruption. And with Miles Garrett being the best defensive player on the team, and I would say Olivier Vernon might have been, at least according to PFF, their number two last year, Larry and Joby can kind of turn it around. This is a team that has a lot of defensive talent, and maybe Woods can put them in the right place to succeed. Denzel Warren, Greedy Warren, I can think of a pair of worse you know, starting cornerbacks. I'm with you. Let's stick in the AFC North. NFL Network's Ian Rappaport reported the Bengals are willing to facilitate a trade with Andy Dalton's interests in mind. And that's important. That last little nugget is the most important. Dalton still has one year left in his deal, almost $18 million remaining in his contract with the Bengals. But the Bengals having the number one pick, almost certainly Dalton is not on the roster next mm-hmm. year. Dago, what do you think when you saw this? Well, his $17.7 million cap hit doesn't include any guarantees. So I know they'll try to facilitate a trade. But in my mind, it's just going to work out where they outright release him because they can't find a suitor. Mm. However, if they do find a suitor, uh, one of them that makes sense is the Bears since they just hired Bill Lazor as an OC. And Lazor obviously worked with Dalton for the past three seasons, or three seasons, 2016 to 2018, with Dalton. So I think that's going to be a heavily, heavily connected team. This Bengals team, I mean, we talked to Carson Palmer, and you tried to ask Carson Palmer about his time with Cincinnati and what he would tell Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. To me, he kind of just deflected that entire Well, question. it's also hard to answer when Chris Sims palms your head mid-question, so, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that Chris Sims, always getting in the middle of everything. Can this be 2020 Ryan Tannehill? I don't think so. I think Dalton's always been kind of a son of his parts, quarterback. I mean, his best years were when Marvin Jones and Mohamed Sanu were still in Cincy. I, mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that he kind of fell off once those guys left. With that said, I think it can be a uh, Tyrod Taylor type situation. I, mean, I think he's still good enough to be a starting quarterback for a season. You're not going to really contend for the playoffs if you don't you know, have a bunch of talent around him. I don't think he's going to take a team from average to above average to great or anything like that but he's a perfectly fine spot starter or veteran backup we think he makes starts and i mean we don't know which team but we think he makes starts in 2020 makes starts but i think he lands somewhere where possibly starts the backup and then makes more starts throughout the year um also have him linked personally to the bucks i think makes sense hmm. if they're trying to find a one-year stop gap because that 17 million cap hit isn't the projected 26 million franchise tag if they're looking to do that with james winston and it's cheaper than a long-term extension and the panthers josh you're a panthers insider as you know they're looking to rebuild this year it makes sense to go to dalton for a year it'll be interesting if he uh you know because some quarterbacks take the uh, approach where they're battling for a starting job uh, every year. Other ones are content to be kind of veteran, help mold players uh, start when they can. So I'm kind of curious to see, is, is Eddie Dalton still going to be in the NFL in five, six years? Because I don't know. I mean, just 
I think he could be, but it's funny how some quarterbacks, you know, they, once they're done starting, they more or less retire. And then we got your Ryan Fitzpatrick, Josh McCowns that are, you know, just so great in the locker room, they keep going. And mm-hmm. I, I don't see any reason why Dalton couldn't do that if he wants to. Look, it's dangerous to have a new thought into your brain mid-podcast. I wonder, is Andy Dalton a little underrated now? Ooh. Look, I'm not saying he's <laughs> a quarterback that year in, year out, you can rely on being a top 10, top 15 quarterback. And there's something called quarterback purgatory or the Andy Dalton line out there. But that's also a type of player that hooked on with an offensive coordinator, a good play caller, a good roster around him. I think you can put up nearing 25, almost 30 touchdowns with this player. He's done close to that in his past. There are much much worse options out there that have gone on and started games year over year over year. We've seen ceiling as a first-round playoff exit, and that's a higher ceiling than a lot of quarterbacks, so I hear where it comes from. The acquisition makes sense for a team like the Eagles or the Patriots because I genuinely think he becomes the league's best backup Hmm. the moment he actually becomes that. I'm not saying these were great seasons, but statistically, 2017, he had 25 touchdown passes. 2015, 25 touchdown passes. 2013, 33 touchdown passes. 2012. 27 touchdown passes. You're talking yourself into something you don't want to talk yourself into. <laughs> I think you're right. Thanks for saving me from myself, Daigle. Next up, Patriots signed Director of Player Personnel Nick Casario to a contract extension. Uh, we've heard Nick Casario's name quite a bit mm-hmm. in the last year. Uh, first, Casario's contract was initially set to expire in May before the two sides agreed to a multi-year deal. Um, and the 2020 season will make it the 13th consecutive year that Casario has worked under his current title. And he is obviously Bill Belichick's most trusted personnel accomplice. Whenever you see those draft cams when the draft rolls around, you see the Jaguars having like 30 people in their room with, you know, table after table after table. You look at the Patriots, there's only about five people in there because they only want five people in there helping make decisions and, and having the secrets that the team has in inquiring these players. But Casario has always been one of those. But we've certainly seen in the past year he's had a lot of links to Bill O'Brien and the Houston Texans. Even excluding Brady from this entire situation, they went through the entire coaching cycle somehow keeping Josh McDaniels, and now they keep Casario as well. So just to have the infrastructure in place next year, no matter what happens with organizational changes, like that's a big plus. Yeah, I wonder if there's something here in the long term because we're talking about Brady's when he's going to retire. I know Belichick said he's got three or five more years, but they could be looking at a post-Belichick future, too. And I was surprised to see Casario still only, you know, 44 years old. He has been with the team from 2001. As you said, you know, Houston, there's been a lot of places that want him. I don't know, like when you see a guy that should be this hot of a commodity out there and then he just kind of re-signs, you know, for an undeclosed deal with a new team, just makes me think, hey, maybe there's some sort of handshake deal in place Mm. that once Belichick's gone, you're not running the team. Well, he he was a hot commodity out there and a lot of it was because of his links with the Houston Texans. There was this whole fiasco of obviously when Rick Smith was let go and took time away from the team when Bill O'Brien had more power. There was a time when he actually wanted a general manager. They actually asked a formerly interview him that was denied then the Patriots reached out to the NFL saying that the Texans tampered with Nick Casario all this and time. remember when they were denied when Casario was denied the interview him and Belichick like got into a squabble like where they actually discussed walking away at that moment but Belichick wouldn't allow it and made him play, uh, yeah. go through his contract which is why when the multi-year deal was announced I was actually quite shocked that's how we've gotten to this right that Bill probably thought that he, Bill O'Brien, I should say, probably thought that he had to have a general manager attached to him. And now Bill O'Brien doesn't have to have anyone Literally to no power one. to. Yeah. He has all of it. So I think that that's an ideal situation for him. And to your point, a post-Bill Belichick 
life of the Patriots. To me, this is just setting up life after Tom Brady. I'm not saying it's going to happen this year, but soon, where you can keep Josh McDaniels. You can keep Nick Casario. You can have Steve Belichick in there. Like That core, along with Bill, is one that I'm highly intrigued what they do after in the post-life of Tom Brady. Agreed? (laughs) Let's move on. Uh, Next up, Trent Williams possibly, maybe, returning to the Redskins. NFL.com's Ian Rappaport reports that the quote-unquote cold war between Trent Williams and the Redskins is thawing a little bit. Ian, Trent Williams is one of the best left tackles in the league. We know he sat out all of last season. But this is a step in the right direction with him to actually playing football in 2020. They've taken his side over the training staff side. I mean, they fired their head trainer at the end of December. You know, they got Ron Rivera there saying all the right things. Dwayne Haskins is making a plea for Trent Williams to stay and protect his blind side. I mean, the, the things that came out about Trent Williams, like completely inexcusable from the Washington organization. And I think that having the new coach in there, Rivera, like he's brought that to light. He's taken his side. And I think that's all Williams really wanted to hear. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I don't think any of us know Williams' true feelings at this point. But certainly, I mean, compared to just the, you know, what we saw throughout the regular season, things seem to at least be in a much better place right now. Because I read, I've read free agent columns over the past couple of days, and Nate Soldier and Russell Okunger, hot names that are coming up as cut candidates, but likely won't be at the end of the day because their position is so hard to come by on the open market. And now take that and take a truly elite player at his position like Trent Williams and just imagine if the team doesn't come to common ground with him. It is so important in this new regime to work out all the hostility and have him come back, especially with a, a new hire like Scott Turner, who he would they would help each other out in that yeah. instance. And I think a big wrinkle to this is that Ron Rivera has completely cleaned house, and that's including the training staff. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the reason why yeah. Trent Williams <laughs> because was so frustrated staff. is because he was misdiagnosed. And just how they so poorly, imagine that, the Redskins poorly handling a situation. But that's exactly what they did here. And if anything, Ron Rivera is about building culture. And Trent Williams is one of the best players on the team. Now, Brandon Sheriff is also a free agent. This Washington team is undergoing possibly a lot of change this offseason. Mm-hmm. But it's also a team that has a lot of young talent along the defensive line, a lot of young talent along the offense with Haskins and Geis and, most importantly, Terry McLaurin. It could be a really, really fun team. In 2020. That's what I was saying. The offensive line just in kind of the scheme once Callahan took over last year, like nothing good was going to happen in the last, really the whole season, but especially like the last 10 games, just an impossible situation for everyone. So if Williams can come and give them at least an average offensive line, then maybe we can find out what these guys can do. We talked about it in our videos we did before the Super Bowl that you can see now on Roto World and YouTube, how it was an underwhelming hire, Ron Rivera, but it was a necessary one. Like That team needed someone like that. And bringing Trent Williams back into the fold is just another part of that bridge they have to mend. A 30-30 season might have turned into 2020 vision. (laughs) Are you the first one to make that joke? For Jameis. I didn't see it yesterday. Jameis got LASIK surgery. You guys ever had eye problems? Either of you? Oh, I do. I I stopped wearing contacts, though, because it's it's long-term, and, like, it was hard to see, you know, the board when I was at, like, Mm. a business job, but now I just got to see my laptop, and that's all fun. I used to build forts in the back of my living room in in first grade and squint to watch I Love Lucy, and so I've had glasses and contacts since first grade. So I would say, yes, I have vision problems. It was a good I, show, I mean, Josh. Just everything about you, Daigle. It was, just, like, it was a great show. There's something new every day. I love it. That, the chocolate know, episode. You best a lot. One. Let's move on to Jameis Winston. Look, the 26-year-old has infamously squinted as a result of being nearsighted throughout his career, leading coach Bruce Arians to state he, quote, 
can't read the scoreboard, but he can see the guys in front of him, end quote, during his final press conference uh, this season. I don't know about y'all, but to me, this is just ideal timing for Jameis Winston by probably Winston's team no outside in. of the NFL. Uh, look, your quarterback leads the league in interceptions. So what can change? Aha, his eyesight can change. Boom, let's set him up for a major contract now in free agency. I mean, we're going to see, like, Jameis is going to be that guy in eight years and we're going to be having some other offseason discussion. Wait, can this QB guru, guru really get the best out of this guy all of a sudden? I just think any player, particularly a quarterback, where we just, you know, we can never find more than 15 or 20 at the most in any given year that can even play the position well. Whenever you flash, like, even stretches of brilliance, like Jameis has done throughout his career, yep. like, any coach and coordinator, whoever, is just going to look at the brilliance and go, I can fix the mistakes. Like, we got the good things there. It's a quarterback that can create off script. I can, he can do that. I can teach him how to play in script. Do I think Jameis can ever do that? No. Even with great vision, I don't think so. But he's going to keep getting these types of chances. That's the thing. I, I don't really know if the vision mattered. It was clearly just poor decision-making like outside of vision. And the Phillip Rivers rumors are heating up. That mutual interest between both sides and going there. So I don't know what's going to happen. Honestly, it's the start of a trend. The jokes write themselves. No, it's the start of a trend. Because from here on out, if this works, every single year, the quarterback who leads the league in interceptions is going to go get LASIK surgery. It's like Tommy John for baseball. Exactly. I mean, if this, we're, is, this is the big change. So if we're, we're supposed to sing it, <laughs> we're supposed to believe that Jameis was throwing interceptions because he literally like couldn't see what was going on. You're telling me he was just blindly throwing the ball downfield? I, I am, don't know that that's any better. I am clearly joking. But I mean, this is a hilarious development. Not to put surgery down, but Jameis has had this issue stemming back all the way to college. He's also had the same right. mistakes in playing style stemming back to college. Like squinting Jameis Winston memes have been out there for the last five years. But, I mean, it would be awesome if this does change something. I like how also they added at the very end he had meniscus surgery. Like he got his vision impaired. Also, he had knee surgery. Don't worry about that part, though. <sighs> Let's see if I can make this transition. Speaking of a potentially good use of money in LASIK surgery, time for our next segment. Is it worth it? Now it's free agency. It's about to come up. And it's obviously the main part of free agency is people out of their contracts hoping to get more money. But they're not the only ones hoping to get more money. Obviously, there are players entering their final year of their rookie deals or final de- year of their deals We saw Zeke hold out with two years left in his deal. <laughs> exactly. Who want to get that future contract, get that future money now. So I put it on y'all to come up with a name Plausible or names as well. Plausible names. Ones that weren't Obvious. Like Christian McCaffrey, yes. Right. We're going to pay him. Ones that are kind of lightning rod players. Even Kenny Galladay. That could go That could go either way. Ian, you want to kick us off? So my player, and he is with the Colts for this next season. After that, will be a free agent. T.Y. Hilton, who will be 31 after this next season. Look, he's been the Colts' number one target since 2013. And he really just hasn't been the same player if Andrew Luck isn't under center. And I understand you can say with a lot of wide receivers, you severe downgrade a quarterback. The entire offense is obviously going to be downgraded too. But it's a mix of inefficiency and just a lack of usage. I mean, with Andrew Luck, nine targets per game. Without seven, he's averaging uh, over 20 yards less per game without Andrew Luck. You know, fewer touchdowns, fewer receptions. Last year, he averaged 7.4 yards per target. I mean, that was 80th among qualified wide receivers mm. right there with Larry Fitzgerald, you know, Cole Beasley, Philip Dorsett. Those guys are still useful. Like, it's not putting T.Y. Hilton down. I think we saw for stretches last year, even in this more chain mover, not so much of a field stretcher role, he can still do good things. But, you know, he again, he's been their number one target since 2013. I'm sure he is going to want to be paid like a true number one wide receiver. And for a player that obviously is never a one with size, I have concerns with how he's going to age. I commend his 
iron mentality that he's had the past couple seasons. Because that's why we're talking about this now, because recency bias, the past two years, he's just been injured and banged up throughout the year. 2018, remember, he had that serious injury, but still came back and led the league in receiving from Week 10 on. Last year, we saw, despite the Colts being eliminated from playoff contention, still came back, and it was a stubborn decision on the organization's behalf, but still played the final three games as if they were still contending. So, it's impressive that he's doing that, but again, it's just the fact he's banged up and that by the time this contract comes into play, he's going to be 31. Yeah, isn't it shocking to anyone else that he's 31 years old? Yeah. I mean, that's wild. Came quickly. He's one of the most explosive wide receivers we've seen at times, and it's actually amazing that he's been so healthy in the NFL because I remember, because I ran the draft section at the time, going back to his days at FIU, he had so many hamstring or ankle injuries during his time in college, and in fact then got hurt during his pro day workout. So he oh, was just really? never healthy okay. entering the NFL. So he's actually played a lot more than so many across the league expect him to. So, Ian, where are you going with this? Would you pay him? Would you not? Because right now, this almost $15 million that he's owed in 2020 is around wide receiver 14, wide receiver 15. Do we all get a vote? Well, let's let Ian go first okay. since that was his nomination. I would not pay him as a true number one 15 million plus per year hmm. wide receiver. And I think it's honestly, like you just said, like he's been one of the most explosive players in the league, so good. It's so impressive he has been because they have not surrounded him with really anybody. I mean, Dante Moncrief is probably the second best wide receiver he's played with. I know he kind of had tail end of career Reggie Wayne in there too, but like I would have loved to see an Andrew Luck offense where T.Y. Houghton was like an overqualified number two receiver. I feel like he's always kind of been out of places that. So no, as a injury riddled aging player is getting up there, like no, you cannot pay him for what he gave so, you. So you want him to take a pay cut? You, you will go up to T.Y. Hilton and say, I'm going to make you take I a I hope cut. someone gives T.Y. Hilton $40 million per year, but if I was running the Colts, <laughs> I would not pay him like that. I hope he's a Deshaun Jackson with the Bucks type of player where they're playing next huh. to uh, Mike Evans where he's a secondary explosive Love guy. Love it. Yeah, but not the number one you're counting on to be the over-the-top threat. I mean, right now the Colts have some of the largest cap space heading into 2020. $86 million. Yeah. So. I mean, a front-loaded contract would make sense to me, but who knows? They're a shorter contract, yeah. just because there could be a drop-off here. Dave, are you going to take the next one? I am lobbying to the group Will Fuller because he's a true game-changer when healthy. The thing is, he's not ever healthy. 14, 10, 7, and 11 games played in his four years since coming out of Notre Dame. Uh, his career highs with 49 catches and 670 yards actually occurred last year when he only played 11 games, banged up with multiple soft tissue injuries throughout the year. And we know how special he is when he's available. Uh, Deshaun Watson the past three seasons, 9.7 yards per attempt, 9 and 8 yards per attempt with Fuller on the field. But again, he's never on the field. Mm. So the fact his contract is now up in a year uh, and he's going to probably command a higher deal, I'll tell you my decision. I'm not paying him unless I can get him on a pre-Brashad Perryman breakout with the Bucks deal, like a one year for four million, and the fact is, you're not getting Will Fuller most likely one year for four million. No, because this year he's making ten million dollars. So I am skipping out on him entirely. This is his fifth year option. I mean, he's already gone through his four years. Mm-hmm. He would have been the f- perfect fifth year option candidate um, if last year was healthy, but last year was not healthy. My question, Ian, is this Texans offense seems like, for some reason, it cannot function with, without Will yep. Fuller to its highest capacity, even when they have a player of somewhat of a similar mold built in the same vein 
as Will Fuller and Kenny Stills, yeah. it still doesn't operate in the same exact way. No, the Kenny Stills thing this year really opened my eyes to that because, again, when Fuller went down, like, okay, they went out and got Stills, a great field stretcher for years to go replace him, and it didn't really matter. It still wasn't the same offense without Fuller out there. And because of that, we're going to see some team, I don't know if it will be the Texans, overpay him, mm. probably hoping that he can put together for 16 games because when he is out there, like, yeah, absolutely, he's going to extend DeAndre Hopkins' career, let him just continue to thrive underneath. He makes everything easier for Watson, everything easier for the entire offense, yeah. and he could do that around the league. I mean, I think this skill, it's very easy to see. This, we talked about this with Robbie Anderson. You know, it's easy to put field stretchers into new offenses and see like how that would benefit everyone. So. I, I disagree with you all. Like, is it worth it? I think Will Fuller is worth it. Right now, again, in 2020, he's going to make $10 million. What if instead of saying, hey, you can make $10 million this year and maybe you get hurt. Instead, I'm going to pay you $9 million per year over the next three. $9 million per year does not get you super quality wide receivers across the NFL that have sustained success. Um, Adam Humphreys got $9 million last offseason. John Brown, $9 million. Marquise Lee at 8.5. Kenny Stills, $8 million. Uh, Quincy Noon was at $9 million. Deshaun Jackson at $9 million. I think Will Fuller fits in that same vein in that when he's healthy, he's good. John Brown is the exact same position I think Will Fuller is in right now. And so I think he's making around the right type of money for his style. I mean, you halfway because with the correct hierarchy, a team wouldn't literally depend on him and have no response whenever he's not on the field knowing his injury history. But the Texans clearly are not that organization because they have no plans in place when he's off the field. They thought Kenny Stills was that, and yeah. clearly he was not. So maybe they try to answer it again, but right now there's no one that can take his spot. For $9 million, absolutely keep the guy. But like we saw this when Sammy Watkins was a free agent a couple years ago. When you have guys that have flashed a high-level talent and just they have that speed, I think someone's going to outbid them. Is it worth it? Uh, again, these are players that have at least one more year left in their contract, but most likely looking at their future money. I will nominate Evan Ingram. Um, Evan Ingram is a player who burst onto the scene in his first season. 15 games, he played 115 targets, 64 receptions, 722 yards, and six touchdowns that year. Look, we talked about it earlier this week, how tight ends are slowly developing position players in the NFL. That was not the case for Evan Ingram. He jumped on the scene and was an incredible player. But the last two years, just 14 starts combined with six combined touchdowns. 2020 is the final season of his rookie contract. We don't know if the Giants are going to pick up that fifth-year option. They're allowed to do that up until May 30th. This might be surprising to y'all, but Evan Ingram is the type of player I cannot quit. This is why I would never be a general manager, because I will always look at the style and the skills that Evan Ingram brings to the table and say there are so few players across the league that offer what he does, the potential to be a top five tight end, where I don't personally, from this desk right here, don't have to worry about all the games that he missed that I could never let a player like that get away. Yeah, and I mean, I think coming out of college, people viewed him as this, you know, wide receiver, pretty much playing tight end, just with how athletic he was. But some of the blocks he put on film last season were just ridiculous. I mean, he is truly a three-down tight end now that can block in the run game, go out, line up in the slot, out wide, do whatever. I mean, some tight ends, like, literally spend 60 70% of their snaps, like, out wide. Think of Mike Jasicki, guys like that. Ingram was, you know, 35% slaughter out wide. I mean, he's a true in-line beast tight end. A lot of his production, like, has come when OBJ has been out or when they've had, you know, Golden Tate suspension. Like, so I am a little worried about him kind of 
producing day in, day out, but there's no question this guy is just an outstanding talent, and I think all his efficiency rates reflect that. I am concerned about the coaching staff they have in place, but I do really want one year of Daniel Jones throwing to Slayton, Shepard, Ingram, and Barkley. Just yeah. one year of everyone healthy, and then we'll decide from there. And I think now's the time He's to do so that. He's still so young, too. Now's the time to do that future contract. I mean, the quarterback's on a rookie deal. You have time to do that. Yeah. You have money to do that. And that fifth-year option is only going to cost about $6 million. And you look around the league. Again, like Jared Cook got second contracts for a while, Vance McDonald, so on and so forth. Those are really good players. It's not like they've had nearly as much early career success as Evan Ingram. And tight ends relative to wide receivers are just underpriced for really no good reason. His career highs and receiving yards and touchdowns came in his rookie year, and I think that's only because the past two years he's dealt with those injuries you discussed. So given his youth uh, and the fact he's already proven through three years he's more than capable of succeeding in the NFL, I'm, I'm paying him. I'm gladly paying him. Ian is blank worth it. Patrick Peterson, who has never missed a game due to injury, but obviously had his, had his little PED suspension to go through last year. He will be 30 years old in July, was certainly more of a playmaker in terms of interceptions, fumbles, return duties earlier in his career. Still a pretty dang good quarterback lately until last year. I mean, he was a top 20 corner in yards allowed per cover snap from 2015 to 2018, top 10 even in the last few years. But then came back last year and really was not the same player. And then the season 81st in yards allowed per cover snap. You know, what's he been so great at over the years? One-on-one, take away the opponent's number one receiver. Michael Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, roasted him badly. And that was, you know, right when he was coming back from the suspension, so we kind of gave him benefit of the doubt. Still saw Mike Evans and Robert Woods kind of have their way with him. He's an aging corner. You know, we don't know the specifics of the PED thing, I think, so I don't want to take too much from that. But clearly, like, something was going on there with that. That's not a great sign for how you think a player's kind of feeling about himself as he's aging. I'm worried about if he can provide that same sort of top-dollar lockdown corner value that he has for his whole career moving forward. People bring up bad running back contracts. Has anyone looked at these bad cornerback contracts as of late? For 2020 right now, here are the top five earners in store. Xavier Howard at number one, Josh Norman two, Tremaine Johnson three, Xavier Woods four, Patrick Peterson five. That's a big yikes. Xavier Rhodes. Xavier Rhodes. Who did I say? I thought you said Woods. I did say Xavier Woods. Yeah, Xavier Rhodes. Wrestler. Um, And safety for the Dallas Cowboys. Sure. Uh, Patrick Peterson's had a wild career. I mean, he has been one of the true consistent corners out there. He also went through, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, diabetes, where he learned he had diabetes, and that completely changed the outcome of a season or a couple since then. Um, I don't know. This is also a team that he was the identity for so long, along with Larry Fitzgerald, where I think that that's changing completely. And if I'm, look, if I'm Steve Kime or Cliff Kingsbury, you have to think about identities and, and who the leaders are the team are. And I'm not sure if you know, Patrick Pearson is that moving forward. He's had one truly bad year last year. Uh, and I do wonder if it was because he wasn't on performing performance. we, we got to ask. Yeah, like, it's a it, fair question, it begs though. the question, at least, considering mm-hmm. he was suspended the first six games for, the, for testing positive for that. So I don't know. Uh, I... I I am paying a shutdown corner pretty much any money he asks for in today's league. However, those 10 games make me worry. Stephon Gilmore's cornerback 10 in money next year, by the way. Like, what a deal that is. That's a <laughs> absolute wow. steal. Uh, Dago, any more? Do we m- want to move on? Do you have any more of, is blank worth it? Well, so it's football, and I decided to mix in some life because I don't think this, this segment was initially called buy or sell. It was literally never called buy or <laughs> sell. You're talking about the next contract or the next year status. So, I mean, at one point it was called Deal or No Deal, but it was oh, yeah. never called by yourself. I, well, Deal or No Deal, Josh, do you think plant-based <laughs> food will stick around? Because we've now all eaten dinner together, and 
between all the plant-based foods we're dealing with, you've seen I'll eat a black bean burger. But you've also seen I'll eat chicken and waffles in front of you. Yeah. Uh, and then just gouge and die. But Bring it around, Daigle. Let's hit this home. I think it's a fad, to be honest. It's not a fad. I think plant-based foods are a fad. Yes. No. Um, Why not? Adam Levitan has a really good point on this. Where I Also wonder... the worst food opinion in the industry, no. so be oh. careful. No. That in, in, in 20 this. years, in 30 years, I do wonder if we look back as a society and wonder how we have treated animals. And a major part of that is our consumption. Of, I mean, you also are looking at a person who only basically eats protein and salad, and yeah. that's about it. But let's say you're a big salad and protein. I know. So it's not like I am practicing what I am preaching now, but it, I think it's a fair question to wonder because so many things do change in 10 to 20 years. I drew the line whenever I saw the Dunkin' Donuts Beyond Sandwich, and I was like, okay. Well, that's a little Society wild. is getting We don't need crazy fast there. food that is plant-based at this time. We don't think. need three meals per day. That's the real issue. In we need seven. You're right. Hey, well, don't tell me you have another one. No, I don't have that. That's it. One. Oh, no, actually, I do have one oh, more. I'm sorry. Just... No, it was just a little bonus. It was just a little bonus because we're talking about what happens next year. Yeah. So I was just going to ask. I'm curious what Ian's <laughs> thought on this. Next year, does Josh have a date for Valentine's Day? Oh. It, it may not last more than three minutes. I'm not sure. <laughs> but the fact is, will he show up at a coffee shop next year on Valentine's Day? I'm going I'm to take, yeah, take, take the plus odds at yes, plus 250. I like right it, now. too. He's a handsome fellow. He works hard. When's the limit on when this can be mentioned ever again moving forward? Is this it? Is like, is this the week and then we move on like it never happened again? No, oh, not. no. No? Not until, well, you, not until you tell us what happened retirement. in the four minutes. It, it can't be every show. I'll throw out one. Is it worth it? Roombas? Roombas aren't worth it. Like, if you What's want to spend, if you want to spend hundreds of dollars on a Roomba. You're trying to deflect. I'm not going to let you deflect. Your, your room is already clean because Roombas only get caught on cords. They get caught... On furniture, instead of spending hundreds of dollars on this thing that can only pick up like this much worth of dust and grime on your floor, why not just spend the money on like a cordless vacuum? It is now my job to connect you and a Roomba salesman at a coffee shop on Valentine's Day next year. Roto Pat's been putting in work, guys. Off-season work. You know, some people might have their draft rankings out. No, Pat has way, 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 way too early <laughs> fantasy rankings as well. Pat, what's up, man? How you doing? Hey, when I said to introduce them as way too early, I don't know if I emphasized five ways. Um, they are too early, uh, but maybe we shouldn't highlight the fact that, I mean, these maybe shouldn't even exist. Well, um, yeah, I think that's a fair point. I also think that you know you're held to these until August 1st as well, so keep that in mind. Um, how we're going to do this is I'm going to just go position by position, probably list the top 10 or so in each position, and you guys, Ian and Daigle, call out any ones that stand out. Negatively, even positively, you want to get Pat some props, and he might have to defend himself. Does that I work? I have no props just, listed on my notes. Just yelling. <laughs> why, why, why don't we do that, Pat? Um, I'm going to give a quick shout on these, but these are not. These are my final ranks for the 2020 season. Free agency <laughs> won't change attention. them. Draft won't change them. <laughs> Nothing that happens in off-season activities will change them. All right, let's get started. Here at quarterback, number one, Lamar Jackson. Two, Patrick Mahomes. Three, Deshaun Watson. Four, Russell Wilson. Five, Dak Prescott. Six, Kyler Murray. Seven, Jameis Winston. Eight, Carson Wentz. Nine, Matt Ryan. And we close up the top ten with Matthew Stafford, who missed half of last year. Did I not hear you say Josh Allen, or was that like a mistake? Or what happened there? <laughs> last year's QB6 isn't in the top ten. One of the top, what, five to eight players in rushing touchdowns since he entered the league isn't in your top ten? No, nah, I mean... Pat, I know what you're saying, like, we didn't see the spiked weeks from Josh Allen this year, which is concerning because with someone with that arm and the rushing ability, that it should be what we're there for. But, like, why do you just not see Josh Allen in 2020 kind of providing the value he has for the last two years? 
Well, he was more, he was more of kind of like a mid range QB two by like average points, I think. By raw points, he was a QB one. And to me, it's just very concerning when a player with his skill set didn't have the spiked weeks. Cause, you know, if crazy legs Josh Allen isn't going to have spiked weeks as a sophomore, you know, after he had a lot as a rookie. To me, it was indicative of a player, A, not making progress, B, a player defenses, you know, were adjusting to. And, you know, of course, the eye test, uh, which uh, didn't didn't look too hot in a lot of the biggest games uh, against the Patriots, you know, in the playoffs when he basically single-handed, I mean, not single-handedly, but, I mean, he was a huge reason they blew that game in Houston. And I just saw, you know, we love, he'll, he'll have more spiked weeks probably in 2020, but we just, you know, a player who already had red flags, I feel like uh, produced even more red flags in 2019. And I've, I'm basically putting myself in a holding pattern with Josh Allen. Well, since this is a pro Josh Allen podcast, at least it turned into that. Pat, you have him as quarterback 18. <laughs> Ahead of him, you have the likes of like Cam Newton as quarterback 12, Daniel Jones as quarterback 13. Um, yeah, that makes sense to me either. I mean, Danny Jones was the prince. He was the Josh Allen prince that was promised last year. As I say in my article, he had four 30 point games and then zero other games over 20. <laughs> so he was like the actual spiked week king, which, you know, we don't want to really. We, we should definitely focus on the fact that he had zero other games above 20 points. But he, to me, he's got like the bigger Josh Allen energy and he's got, you know, kind of an intriguing. Uh, kind of an on-the-rise skill core, maybe not a super deep one, but uh, I saw more Josh Allening out of Daniel Jones than I saw from Josh Allen last year. Yeah, pal, I like that call. I didn't even go a step further. I think 2020 Daniel Jones could be 2019 Jameis Winston. We'll just change the interceptions <laughs> for fumbles. I mean, you got exciting skill position players, a terrible defense, a guy that's fine making mistakes. What if we up. got this like unholy mashup of Jameis Winston and Josh Allen and Daniel Jones. If that was Daniel Jones' like NFL fate, that would be like basically the most amazing thing in history. Let's shift to running backs. Again, these are Pat's way too early rankings, which you can find up on the site. Way, 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 way. There you go. Right now. Number one, Chris McCaffrey. Two, Saquon Barkley. Three, Dalvin Cook. Eh. Four, Ezekiel Elliott. <laughs> five, Derrick Henry. Six, Aaron Jones. Seven, Joe Mixon. Eight, Alvin Kamara. Nine, Josh Jacobs. Ten, Nick Chubb. John Daigle, what sticks out to you? I think you need to take a stand on Austin Eckler. I, I know why you did put him on the bubble as an RB1, but given that they are way too early rankings, or way, 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 way too early rankings, uh, just you should count Melvin Gordon out and move on to another team and move Eckler inside the top eight. Like, remember how special Eckler was, the number one overall player in fantasy last year through the first month. Uh, and that was a sample size that I think is sustainable, given his production in the passing game as well as one of the most efficient players in the league. Yeah, two things that stick out to me, just sorry real quick. Uh, Leonard Fournette, RB14, Todd Gurley, RB20. I know they're not pretty, but man, I mean, just to see Carson, Eckler, Miles Sanders, even Nick Chubb and Josh Jacobs, there's just guys that are probably going to have less touches ranked above them, and I don't disagree with those guys being better, but... Like you said, man, three touchdowns on 341 touches is unfathomable (laughs) for uh, Fournette. With that said, you know, there should be some positive touchdown aggression, maybe. So I've just been growing a beard all offseason and continually labeling the weeks by number. So it's like week 24 or week 25 right now, and I'm just writing articles to myself 
saying this is the week Lennon Fournette's going to regress to the <laughs> touchdown mean. And that's how I'm spending my entire offseason. Uh, I understand what you're saying with Fournette. I mean, if he got that kind of volume again, this would obviously be an absurd ranking. He's going to have to be in the top 10, probably the top 8. But, you know, it was like that was like his big audition to be their unquestioned three-down back. He was kind of on thin ice, you know, going into the season. But they actually followed through and giving him that opportunity. And he just didn't cash it in. And, you know, I could see this is a team where it kind of everyone's on the hot seat. You know, they kind of controversially kept the coach, controversially kept Dave Caldwell. And I just don't know if I see them going down that, what, 400 touch, 350, 400 touch Leonard Fournette route again. So that's kind of what that ranking's about where I think he's going to probably lose more third down work this year. Maybe he'll make it. I mean, he can't score only three touchdowns again. If he stays healthy, he's going to score at least six or seven touchdowns. So maybe that'll help cancel out some of the lost work. But that was more just kind of a projection of just not expecting Leonard Fournette to have that amazing role again in 2020. I, I love the call of Josh Jacobs as running back nine overall. Uh, Josh Jacobs kind of reminds me a little bit of where Ezekiel Elliott was after his rookie season. It's a great comp. In that Josh Jacobs could just have a monstrous ceiling if he gets a passing down role. And for some reason, John Gruden and company didn't want to give him a passing down role, even though every time Josh Jacobs was called a pass, he was breaking tackles, he was making people miss in the open field. He looked like a receiver. And they with extended the Jalen Richard. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's frustrating. Isn't I didn't it, understand it either. Happens. Yeah, it is. He's so... Josh Jacobs has a rare combination of he's very elusive, but he's also like very bruising, you know, just like basically the whole package of what you want and like a actual like running skill set and a running back. And like you said, he every time they let him catch passes, he did a great job. He did not appear to be an inept pass catcher. So that's also kind of maybe that's kind of aspirational and hoping they're going to increase that role. But yeah, boy, they do love love them some Jalen Rashard. The shoulder injury could be key. I mean, it would make sense. A guy playing through a broken shoulder, you're not going to expose him to unnecessary pass blocking reps. So, you know, the, the, it's the, true. The and that was kind of there. like, yeah, that was kind of like the hinge point of his season, too, right when he was really on the rise is when he, like, the, the, the point in the season where it would have made perfect sense to get him more involved as a pass catcher is when he first injured his shoulder. So that is a great point. Let's move on to wide receivers. Pat ranks 48 of them. Again, putting in work, Pat, this offseason. <laughs> Number one, Michael Thomas. Two, Devontae Adams. Three, Tyreek Hill. Four, DeAndre Hopkins. Five, Kenny G. Galladay. Six, Julio Jones. Seven, Chris Godwin. Eight, Mike Evans. I like that little battle list you have with Godwin ranked above Evans. Nine, Juju Smith-Schuster after a disappointing year and the most disappointing year of all. Number 10, Odell Beckham Jr. Who wants to take this one? Ian? Where do I start? We have (laughs) Calvin Ridley as the wide receiver 27, even though Muhammad Sanu is a gonzo. Uh, Austin Hooper may be gone. Devontae Freeman may be gone. And all Ridley's done with, uh, you know, eight targets per game is pretty much provided. Not many touchdowns. Not many, Not touch- many touchdowns. <laughs> wide receiver one, <laughs> wide receiver two value. So, uh, and also Pat. I mean, look, I, I know we kid about Tyler Lockett, but wide receiver thirty-two. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. He's been Wally pipped. He's been Wally pipped. I mean, DK Metcalf is everything a run-obsessed coach would ever want. You know, we're going to run the ball. We're going to take our shots down the field. And you know, he's it's just he's he uh, he's the Lou Gehrig. To uh, Tyler Lockett's Wally Pip, it's just, it's over for Tyler Lockett. It's, the sooner you admit that, Ian, the easier your offseason. But we got Russell Wilson as the QB four, <laughs> campaigning for a more spread out offense. I mean, Metcalf can't catch every ball. <laughs> Challenge accepted by uh, Pete Carroll, who's going to draft himself two or three more Metcalfs. They're transitioning back to only gigantic receivers. I feel like the Seahawks, in terms of a wide receiver evaluation, by the way, I feel like they can't ever figure out what kind of receiver they actually prefer. Like they go through these these small phases and they go through these giant phases. 
I also want to stay in the division because Robert Woods is quite egregious. Just the fact that he scored his <laughs> fewest touchdowns since 2016 and led the team in air yards with a career high in targets and catches. Uh, he's due for positive regression, if anything. He's not going to go backwards, so you need him higher. And then Mike Williams at Jeez. 37. Jeez, Mike Williams, hey. what are you? So I know free agency will, will shake out however it shakes out, but right now like who's throwing to him? they have a league high 18 targets inside the 10 available for next year. And those would majority trickle down to the 6-4 lap of Mike Williams. Uh, do eighth overall in air yards. Also due for positive regression. That's just that's just crazy to have him outside. Pat, did you know you were calling into a firing squad? <laughs> like, geez, I'm trying to be I told nice you I had no positive call. Well done. The top 10 are fine. Oh. A line, a line by line rebuttal to everything John Daigle just said <laughs> is that uh, I don't trust Mike Williams with Terod Taylor and That's Justin Herbert. Um, I mean, he could be made. He averaged over 20 yards per catch last season. Uh, pretty, pretty friggin' amazing. Uh, when it comes back to Robert Woods, it's just does positive regression exist anymore with Jared Goff when Jared Goff is your quarterback? And just, he's not even the best kind of like Julian Edelman clone on his own team. You know, it's Cooper Cup. And that's a, not a very uh, elegant comparison there. Obviously, uh, different kind of players, but I just, that's who I, when I think of fantasy, I think of them as like Edelman esque. And I, to me, I just still see Cooper Cup maintaining the role as number one in Jared Goff's heart next year. And that, that's just more, that's kind of a Goff hedge though, more than a Cooper Cup hedge. It, it probably is embarrassingly too low for Robert Woods. Uh, some breakout candidates Cortland Sutton last year, wide receiver 12 now, um, mm-hmm. DJ Chark. Wide receiver 16, Devontae Parker, wide receiver 17, Terry McLaurin, wide receiver 22, and A.J. Brown, wide receiver 24. Uh, I like those, Pat. I like those a lot. Let's move on over to tight ends. Um, We'll make this one a little shorter. Travis Kelsey is at number one. George Kittle, number two. They hopefully will have that battle for top tight end in the league for the rest of eternity because I will watch it unfold on the field. (laughs) Uh, Number three is Mark Andrews. Four, Zach Ertz. Five, Evan Ingram. Hunter Henry, six. Austin Hooper, seven. Darren Waller, eight. Mike Gesicki at number nine, and Tyler Higby (laughs) at number 10. Pat, talk to me about Mike Gesicki here, because a lot of people might not even know who Mike Gesicki is, Mm -hmm. and you have him behind the like, or ahead of the likes of Tyler Higby, who is a true breakout candidate last year, or breakout player. Uh, Jared Cook was at times. I mean, Gesicki has Ryan Fitzpatrick, maybe Tua throwing to him, an offense where I don't even know if they've figured out how to use him yet. No, I really struggled with Jacecki versus Tyler Higby, by the way. You know, Higby led all tight ends and yards in December. But again, that's just another matter of it's it's such a crowded skill core. We have such questions with Jared Goff. And you know, Jacecki had about as rough a rookie year as possible. Uh, but we know, you know, he's an athletic freak. Uh, he was still kind of unrefined last year. But, you know, he just he was really came on in the second half of the season. And a team where we had the Devontae Parker breakout but a real uncertain skill core. Other than that, the the back end of the receiver depth chart is barren. Uh, The running back depth chart does not exist in Miami. And even if he's a player who's still kind of unrefined and kind of growing into his NFL game, just such a good athlete. And he did enough last year where I feel like you need to keep projecting improvement and growth from Mike Jacecki, and then he's going to be a top 10 tight end. Yeah, Pat, I thought your rankings here were just – World's better than wide receiver. I mean, can't, can't state that enough. But uh, no, but I, I was surprised because I feel like usually with tight end, you know, we have kind of our guys at the top, and then you got to reach on these players to kind of avoid not having to go past 10. But man, Mike Jasicki, Jared Cook, Noah Fant, 
Hawkinson, Jonu Smith, even like Eric Ebron could land somewhere uh, fun. There just seems so much value from you know the 9, 10 to even 20 range this year. I mean, there's a lot of tight ends that obviously not all of them are going to work out, but we got athletic upside, guys that can actually create big plays. You know, we're not seeing the Jason Witten kind of dad bod eight no. yards and fall down guys as much. <laughs> yeah, you basically said it. A position that had basically become embarrassingly thin has finally been replenished with a lot of a really intriguing young talent and you know, knock on wood, famous last words. And you say stuff like this, but it should be a much better overall season for the tight end position in 2020 than it has been the past three or four. Hunter Henry and Austin Hooper are interesting only because they could be on completely different offenses, which could let Jasicki and Higby possibly go up or down hmm. those rankings. I, I bet they're bad with it. They're a team that they were on last year. I mean, you don't really, to me, let a Henry and a Hooper go to different teams. I, I don't think so. You think? Do you know You're something, John Daigle? I mean, franchise tag Henry? Are you kidding me? I mean, I, Austin Hooper was a productive player. <laughs> yeah, when they're and, down three scores. Oh, okay. We have some haters. And the I'm fine with Hooper. I think Henry is in their the skill core. Huh. Hooper's probably more of a goner than Henry. I don't know if the Falcons can spend any more money on like their skilled core, I guess Devontae, which is why they would cut Freeman to make room. But yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Wow. We got there. We got there in the end. Uh, thanks, Pat. Again, you guys can go check out the rankings up on Roto World right now. Pat, uh, we'll be nicer to you next week. Maybe. No promises. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want you to be. I, 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 like, I like the pain. <laughs> <laughs> you can take it. We know you have a thick skin, Pat. Uh, okay. That's going to do it for us. We did it, gentlemen. It's another off-season pod. Uh, we'll be back. Next Tuesday. Next Tuesday is the next episode of this podcast. No Ian Harditz. Another off-season pod. He'll be suntanning in Arizona. There it is. You That's guys it. didn't even let me brag that I am currently doing that in South Texas oh. at South Padre Island. Um, That's why you got off news? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't get off. I switched, <laughs> I switched hours. <laughs> the I fourth wall hours. we're breaking Boom, right now. One last jab. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it. Again, that's Pat. That's Daigle. That's Ian. I'm Josh. We'll talk to you all soon. See you, everyone. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.